0: This is episode 119 of the Equestrian Author Spotlight Podcast. I'm Carly Cade, and today I'm speaking with Sarah V. Barnes. Sarah is both a historian and a horsewoman. When she is not writing stories, she practices and teaches riding as a meditative art. She also offers equine facilitated coaching and wellness workshops. Sarah holds a PhD in history from Northwestern University and spent many years as a college professor before turning full-time to riding and writing. Sarah's book, She Who Rides Horses, is set more than 6,000 years ago and begins the story of Naya, the first person to ride a horse. Daughter of a clan chief, Naya dreams of creating a different kind of relationship with the magnificent creatures and unwittingly sets in motion forces and events that will change forever the future of humans and horses alike. Based on extensive interdisciplinary research, She Who Rides Horses imagines an encounter between a girl and a horse that is both timeless and grounded in fact. Settle up for a serendipitous conversation about pursuing youthful passions, shifting when you think the universe is saying no, leaning into the pause and seeking the spaces where imagination dwells. Now, let's get into the interview. Welcome to the Equestrian Author Spotlight podcast, a podcast featuring interviews with equestrian authors who love all things horses and writing about them. In each episode, you'll hear inspirational stories from horse book authors, including writing advice and marketing tips to help you write your very own horse book. If you're an author, aspire to be an author, or simply love horse books, then you are in the right place. I'm your host, Carly Cade, and creative writing makes my spurs jingle. Hi, everyone. Welcome to the Equestrian Author Spotlight Podcast. I'm Carly Cade, and today I have Sarah Barnes on the show. Welcome, Sarah. So happy to have you. I'm delighted to be here. Thanks. As listeners know, or if you're new to the show, welcome. How I always love to kick these conversations off is asking, how have horses touched your life? Um, In very profound ways is the
1: the short (laughs) answer. But to backtrack, like a lot of horsewomen, I was a horse crazy little girl, was lucky enough to grow up around horses when I was very small because my older sister had horses. We moved then to um, the Chicago area and my dad stuck a tennis racket in my hand instead. (laughs) But I still had this love of of horses. And as soon as I was able to find my way back, I did post-college young person and first years of my marriage. But it wasn't until we moved to Colorado. And at that point, my two girls were old enough to get into horses as well. Uh, And then it was a very slippery slope. Pretty soon we had the pony and then I had a horse. And my poor husband, who's violently allergic to horses, was very Uh tolerant of of the whole thing, but the, the girls and I were were in, in deep. And at that point, my day job, if you will, was as a college professor. And so I was teaching on the, on the college level, um, but also spending a lot of time at the barn. And I also became a um, riding instructor and horse trainer. And over the course of about 10 years, I came to want to spend More and more time at the barn and less and less time grading undergraduate essays. I left academia um, permanently and um, took up horses full time. So I was competing at that point and teaching and uh, we acquired additional horses and it, it was definitely the focus of my life. The problem was that um, I had all these competition goals and several horses would come into my life and they'd either come in with some kind of an injury or they would develop something and I wouldn't be able to accomplish the goals that I thought I had. And so I would always find them good homes, but then I would find myself another horse. And I also, at this time, started working from a teaching standpoint with a clinician called James, named James Shaw, who does Tai Chi for equestrians. Mm. And James started to open my eyes to a different way to teach and a different way to ride, drawing on the principles of the internal martial arts. So really riding with less force and leverage and more about blending Energy and riding with 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 power, and also from a place of relationship, and so that's sort of started a, a shift in in my relationship with horses, and also with the way that I taught. And parallel with that, I, I was going through sort of horse after horse, and I finally got a um, a young mare. Her name was Okatio and I called her Teo for short. <laughs> And she was an unstarted four-year-old, and I thought, here is a horse that's a complete blank slate. I know nothing You know, traumatic has happened to her physically, mentally, and I hope she was going to be the one that was really going to help me fulfill my goals. Well, about six months after I got her started under saddle, everything was going great. She had what seemed like a minor slip in the aisle, and over the next two months, she became progressively unrideable. And I can remember driving home from the barn, pulling into my driveway at home, and just sitting in the driveway, sobbing probably harder than I've ever cried in my life. And it just felt like the universe was saying no. And that brought up tremendous feelings of grief. Like, this can't possibly be the answer that horses aren't supposed to be in my life. At that point, I was so attached to T.O. We had such a bond. I said, that's, that's it. I surrender. I give up. Whatever pat, different path I'm supposed to be on with horses, that's where I'll go. And so I really gave up all my competition aims. And I just said, I'm going to follow this horse, T.O., wherever she takes me. Hmm. And that really was the beginning. The groundwork had kind of been laid with the work I was already doing with James But she really started me off down down a different path. And I started meditating. I started paying a lot of attention to synchronous events that happened in my life. One of the early ones that was very important was um, another important mentor, Linda Cajonov, who wrote The Tao of Equus. She reached out to me via LinkedIn, and I was sort of like, oh, Linda Cajonov wants to be my friend on LinkedIn. (laughs) But that led me to some books of hers that I hadn't been aware of, a card deck in particular, that just had tremendous amount of wisdom that I needed at the time and in terms of trying to figure out what to do with with Tito. And and I learned so much about equine biomechanics and rider biomechanics. And then at the same time work starting to work with Linda a, a lot about the possibilities of the kind of relationship that that's possible to to have with horses. Most of us who, who are, are, would be listening to this podcast, for example, we all love our horses, but I had a lot to learn in terms of what they were capable of emotionally and what I was capable of from a, both a physical, emotional, mental, you know, all those dimensions together. When I was with them. So Teo and the other horses that I work with really became my, my teachers. So that's the path that I'm still on. And um, Teo unfortunately, is no longer with us, but mm-hmm. I continue to, to learn from um, my horse that I have now Prada. She's a Lusitano mm-hmm. mare. And I went on to become one of Linda opponent Quest instructors. So I offer, in addition to teaching riding as a meditative art, I also offer um, wellness workshops, quite facilitated programs that, that draw on that horse-human
0: bond. I love what you said there. It's seen, it sounds like your experience with horses and, you know, clearly it was went sort of from transactional to like a deep connection and a bond. And I love that you said like the universe was, was saying one thing and you're like, okay, I trust that and I'll follow it. And you went that way. I truly believe that it sort of maps your path. And when you like tap into that, that something really special happens. Like, look at, look at where you are now. Uh, A couple questions that I had Mm -hmm. is Colorado. What about Colorado just created this entire like shift into complete equestrianism because it's awesome. I always, you know, mom and daughters riding together. That's fantastic. Like, did you purchase like a ranch or, or how did that happen? And then what were you training to compete for with your horses that, that ended up not being the focus, but where you were trying to head?
1: So Colorado in part because that's where we happened to land for for my husband's job at a time of life when it was possible to pursue. I, I think that 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 seed of that equestrian dream had had always been there, waiting <laughs> to be fertilized, if you will. Yeah. And there's a lot of. We live in Boulder, which is you know a city of a hundred thousand, but there's a lot of open space. And driving my kids around to. School and soccer practice and all those things that that parents do, there were horses everywhere in you know out in out in fields and I was like I need to I need to get back into this and because my girls were both willing to dive in as well, um, that made it something that we could we could do at least the three of us and then we did never. Purchase horse property, mm. just because that would have been really hard on my husband. He, as I say, he was Being very supportive, <laughs> and it, that just didn't seem like the the right option. Mm-hmm. But I've been fortunate enough to be at some wonderful boarding barns mm-hmm. in in the area, and that's really become my my community. Mm-hmm. And then Colorado just feels like home. I don't know if that's you know some something in the dna or or what it is but i love the mountains and and where the mountains meet the meet the plains and then as far as competing i i was competing as an eventer and oh. lower level 3 day 3 day eventing so it's the triathlon of horse sports and i loved eventing because there's no way as an eventer, you can fake the relationship with your horse. Mm. There are too many demands um, in terms of the three phases, and particularly cross country, it's not the kind of thing where a trainer can can train the horse and then just hand it off to you before the competition. You really have to trust each other, both both horse and rider, um, even at the lower levels, to make it through you know all three of those those phases. And the eventing community. Similarly to other endurance sports, um, you're competing against the course and the course designer. You're not really competing so much against each other. So it ends up being a very collaborative community. And because it is so hard to, to keep an event horse um, sound and and loving his or her job, there's, there's a lot of there's a, just a lot of support mm-hmm. and appreciation for the work that everybody's putting in with their horses to even show up on the day of a competition.
0: So I always really love that about eventing. Thank you for sharing that uh, with mm-hmm. listeners. Now, uh, what a special journey you've had with horses. And I know, I know you've written a book, and I know it's going to be a series. So tell us a little bit about your current book, where, where the inspiration came from and how writing came. I mean, I know you're, you're a professor, but you know, how did all this, this magically come into your life and intertwine? Well, and it does feel a little like magic actually.
1: Mm -hmm. So I always love stories about things that happened long ago and far away. That's what drew me to be a historian. actually it was really the, the stories. Mm -hmm. And as often happens with sort of youthful passions, when you you try to pursue them into adult life. Suddenly, some of the joy gets drained away.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: So I, have, I wrote a lot, but it was academic writing. And the, the stories kind of disappeared somehow in the midst of the footnotes and the following the evidence. And, and, the, and then I was drawn to the, the horses instead. And so I had really sort of put writing and history to the side. But I attended one of Linda Kahana's workshops that was a writing, not a writing workshop, but a writing workshop. And I thought maybe I'll just jumpstart a blog or I I didn't have any real intent in in attending the workshop other than that I liked learning from Linda and spending time with her. And and a lot of what she does in her workshops is help people tap into their intuition and to their creativity. And so this one in particular had a lot of exercises with the horses and um, guided journeying that that was designed to kind of open up to that aspect of themselves. And so, on the third day, toward the of the of the workshop, toward the end of the day, Linda said, "You know, I I'm just going to let you guys go find a place to um, sit out on the the property. She has a ranch south of Tucson. I'm going to turn the horses out." And just write whatever comes to you. You don't have to check back in, stay as long as you want, and we'll just reconvene in the morning and share what you've written. So I this is another big example of following where the universe pointed me. I found a place to sit down, open up my laptop, poised my fingers over the keyboard, was <laughs> like, okay, let's see what comes. And it was like magic, like this download. I started writing this story and I kept writing, I kept writing, I kept writing. This big super moon came up behind the Santa Clarita mountains. You know, it was getting dark. I, I went back to my Airbnb. I kept writing, kept writing. In the morning, I had the whole first chapter of this novel and I, brought it to Linda and the other workshop participants, read it out loud. Linda cried, which is always a good sign. She's, you have to finish this. This is a book. You have to finish it. And so I kept writing. And for the first probably six months that I was working on it, I would have that same experience each day. I would just sit down at my computer and be like, I wonder what's going to happen today. And I would put in details because they came to me. And then three chapters later, I'd find out why they were important. <laughs> so it really was this um, Elizabeth Gilbert, the, mm-hmm. the author who wrote Eat, Pray, Love. She has a book called Big Magic. I love that book. That is fantastic. She book. talks about a very similar experience. Mm-hmm. And, and I gather, you know, other author, authors have had the same, the same thing happen where it's like, there's this idea out there that's ready to manifest and it, finds a way. And mm-hmm. so that's very much been my experience with this book. Uh, it's called She Who Rides Horses. And it's the story of the first person to ride a horse. So oh. it's set in the steps of Southern Russia, what's now Southern Russia, in 4000 BC. I did take a step or two back once I was deep into it. And because I'm a historian, I mm-hmm. did the research. So I tried to make it the story as, well, first and foremost, it's a story, but I tried to make it also as historically accurate as possible. And as a historian, I was constrained to the facts and the evidence. Um, And then there's what really happened in the past, which we can never actually know. And there's this gap between what actually happened and the facts and the evidence and what's been so wonderful about this experience of writing this book is I get to be in that gap. <laughs> and that's where imagination dwells. And so whenever I couldn't quite figure out, you know, would this be accurate or could this have happened, I do the best that I could in terms of the research and then I'd make it up. And that's okay because it's a novel. But it it's been amazing how many details that, again, came into the book, and then I would go back and research later, and they would be, you know, fairly accurate. So this, this is a story, it's the, it's the first of, of a trilogy, it's an adventure story to start with. And it's a, a story about a relationship between a, a girl and, and a horse. But it's, it also touches on some pretty big themes in terms of the overall Impact of the relationship between humans and horses. How did domestication happen? It's a process, not an event. And what are the implications for both humans and horses? And how have we, um, as two different species, impacted each other over the the time that we've been in relationship with each other? And I I see where sort of the the horse industry is going today, which is, I think, toward, in in many different disciplines, toward more, as you were saying, less transactional and more relationship-based. And it's almost like we're revisiting a choice point that we had 6,000 years ago. And so part of what I'm trying to do in the story is explore what were the choices that were available to us 6000 years ago in terms of our relationship with these animals that have had probably more of an impact on the course of human civilization than certainly any other animal species but it's hard to think of of another event other than the domestication of the horse that changed the course of of Human culture as as much as as the horse did, and so if we're at this point where we can reevaluate our choices, let's understand you know, you know what what were the choices that we made six thousand years ago, and what what are the choices that are available to us now. So that's that's a little bit the the underlying story, but mostly it's about naya and the red filly. <laughs>
0: Oh my gosh, I love that. And spoken like a true historian, right? And I love that you're putting a spotlight on on those decisions made. And I love that you said that it's just, a, it was a spark that came because you you did this workshop, you were with people that supported creativity and, and did activities that brought it out. But then it's like that lightning bolt that just kind of comes through you. And I, I love those moments. Do you feel like you're not there? Because sometimes I'm like, where who wrote that like was i even there when that was written like did, did you have that experience like that flow state <laughs> yes exactly and it is it is that flow state and being able to trust that
1: is is a huge thing what i found in in linda's work and my own work with horses is whether it's writing or any other sort of realm of creativity there's something about being with horses and spending time with horses that if you let it, um, enables that, that level of creativity that we, we all have access to. I think it's one of their big gifts
0: to us. A hundred percent. And Just being with them—it's not even always about riding. It's you know, it's just in the in the care of them, or in the quiet moments with them, or when you get a little knicker when you bring them their lunch or their dinner. You know, just those little little things like trigger like this this positive, optimistic, magical moment. Yeah, they're incredibly emotionally
1: intelligent, Mm -hmm. Um, and if we allow ourselves to be in that space that they that that's where the space that they occupy all the time
0: yeah that's so magical I know I was getting goosebumps when you were telling me about your experience writing the book I mean just this whole conversation actually has been magic and I love I love the magic when it happens (laughs) (laughs) talk to us about publishing this book did you have to do a lot of research what route did you go how did you figure out how to put this book into the world Putting it into
1: the world is is the operative phrase.
0: Mm -hmm. Since
1: I don't really feel like it's my story, it's a story that's coming through me. Mm -hmm. I feel this tremendous responsibility to bring it out into the world. Not not because it's about me, but because it's about this story. So that was in that was the the foundation for my quest around how to get it out into the world. And I talked to other friends who are authors and did do some research and came to the conclusion that we're we're in a different world, even than we were in five, certainly 10 years ago in terms of publishing. Mm-hmm. And I really did not need to confine myself to the traditional publishing route. If my if my aim was to get the story out there, there was a quicker way than you know trying to find an agent and then the agent trying to find a traditional publisher and and all those things that could have taken a long time. Yes. Um, so I did decide to go the independent publishing route, and I worked with a small independent publisher called Lilith House Press, and well. they're. <laughs> yeah. Their, their mission is to bring women's voices forward.
0: Hmm. So
1: they specifically support women authors or, or, um, female identified authors. They sort of walked me through the whole process of, I, I, I had a contact that again was through sort of a serendipitous series of, of contacts it was the perfect editor. So I didn't, I didn't need Lilith House's advice about an editor, but they would have, they would have provided that. I used their designer and um, she was wonderful to work with. And we got the manuscript into shape and within, you know, the, the editing process did take a while. And I would recommend, you know, if you're planning to self-publish, the one place to spend money is on a good editor because there that that is the thing that will give credibility to either a self-published or or independent press published book. that that's where i I sort of put my resources. But once we had the edited um, manuscript, and um, the the designer uh, made it look like a book, and then um, it's actually very easy to upload it to um, amazon and um, all the other platforms, and um, and then the 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 world that I'm dabbling in now is that's also very unfamiliar. Is marketing,
0: and mm-hmm. and
1: that is the one thing that um, the Lilith House does not. Um, they'll give advice, but they they're not a marketing firm. Mm-hmm. Um, so that's that's a that's a whole that's a whole other world.
0: It is, isn't it funny how? you write a book, this story magically comes through you. And then all of a sudden, you have to shift from creativity to being a business owner, and then understand publishing and book cover design, and then reaching readers and marketing. But I, you know, it's it's interesting, because people are like, I just want to write, you know, but then all these other pieces come with it. But th- I, I there's a lot of fun in that journey as you're discovering that as well. The book is beautiful and I agree with you. That was a really excellent point. Invest in good editing. That is a very important part of any story that winds up in the world. So, and, and marketing is part of the puzzle. So you mentioned marketing. How have you been reaching your readers or getting the word out around your story? One of the
1: first things that I did was to solicit reviews from Kirkus and Publishers Weekly um, Book Life. And again, not very expensive, but you do you do pay for those reviews. But that has been a very good investment. So getting legitimate editorial reviews that, that have credibility was where where I started. And then I got a team together of of readers. That we're willing to purchase early on from amazon and and leave reader reviews.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: And then I enter in contests. Mm-hmm. And so again, you pay to enter those contests, but they're not that expensive. Often you will get uh, good reviews from that you can then use in your marketing from the the um the contest judges. And so then it's been working with my local equestrian community, um, doing podcasts like this. I'm starting to do more, reaching out with a a lot of a lot of word of mouth um, and and some promotional campaigns, again, through um, either Kirkus or Book Life or some of the bigger. But again, that all costs money. So, you know, it's trying to figure out where you want to spend your funds And there are a lot of avenues that I I haven't pursued yet that are sort of on my to-do list. Mm -hmm. And, and each day that I sit down, it's like, well, should I write today or should I market today? (laughs) Um, And often writing wins out. Mm -hmm. Um, Smart. But my, my intent being to, to reach out to more equestrian publications. Yeah. So I've done book signings at the local bookshop here in, in Boulder has been super supportive. So they've kept the book on, on their shelves. And I did an author talk with them. And yeah, it, I'm learning.
0: Oh, it sounds like you're doing all the right things. And and really, that's what it is. It's, you know, as with anything, like finishing a book or marketing, it's like baby steps, what you, you set, you have a list, you do your research, you try things, you see what works, you see what you like, you know, because you don't have to do everything, choose what what you enjoy doing when it comes to marketing. And then you keep adding to, you know, your roster of, of what you know and what you want to do and who you want to work with. And then it just becomes part of it. I love, I love asking these questions. I think, I think maybe marketing might fall into one of these categories, but I, everyone answers this a little bit differently, but for you, what has been the best part so far of being an author but then on the flip side, what has been the most challenging part of your author career?
1: Um, the, the best part is that um, I can spend time doing something that I love that's creative. And I am completely my own boss. I have this wonderful, this is my office, this wonderful space that really feels like a sanctuary to me. Um, so I I get to spend, and I'm kind of an introvert and mm. like spending time by myself. I I like my books, I, and I and I love to write. So it it's really a, a complete privilege to be able at this stage of my life to be able to be on on my own time mm. and and um, doing something that I love in a space that I love. The other thing that I love to do is spend time with my horse and so i I have an excuse to do that as if I needed one, mm-hmm. because that time that I spend with her is what fuels my creative juices. And just like we were talking about before, that that time that 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 we are privileged to spend in horses' company is an opportunity to ground, to center, to get in touch with ourselves on sort of a soul level. Mm-hmm. And so I need that for, for my, my work. So mm-hmm. I've, I've gone from being a college professor to being a oh. horse trainer and riding instructor to now primarily being, being a writer. And so mm-hmm. that's, that's the best part of it. The hardest part is probably like what we were talking about, the, the marketing <laughs> <And it laughs> takes me away from from what I really love.
0: So Yeah, absolutely. You're not alone. That is the number one answer when I ask this question: is mm-hmm. pr- primarily marketing. It's hard to like put yourself out there all the time and be, you know, be sharing that stuff when it's not it, your natural inclination. But it is so important for for get elevating the books and getting the books into the world. The thread through this whole interview has been, you know, the the universe kind of pulls you forward, or you you follow the feelings, or this happens and you shift here and that's really magical. And being aware of that is so important. Uh, What advice would you give to someone who wants to achieve his or her goals? I mean, from, from your professor point of view, from, from your connectedness point of view, from having just, you know, these books point of view, like what, what would you tell someone to do that wants to achieve their dreams, like writing a book or riding a horse or taking the adventure they haven't done so far? Well, I think that, that
1: the first thing for a lot of people can be just discovering what is the dream. Mm. So I think that's, that, that can be often the hardest step is just giving yourself permission to pause whatever it is that is consuming your energy, your time and evaluate what, what do I have to keep in my life for there for all sorts of reasons what do i wish was in my life and 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 how can i create a balance but it but it takes it takes the pause and and coming into your body coming into your breath so that you can hear that that voice which you can say it's your soul talking, your intuition. if you don't give yourself that pause, often you'll miss the you'll miss the the message about what the dream is and so then if then if you know what the dream is, it's staying aware of those opportunities that might be coming along. so paying attention so pausing and then paying attention because, Avenues open up that you might never have foreseen. And I'm the type of person, I'm still lo- uh, learning this lesson. Like, I like to make things happen. Like, I like to be in control. I like to plan. I, I like to make things happen. And it just like with the horses, all these horses that were coming into my life, Each one of them probably had amazing lessons to teach me, but I was trying to make this other thing happen. Mm -hmm. And I finally had, after enough sort of hard nose from the universe, I had to say, okay, that's not what's happening. And sort of surrender to something that I never would have envisioned. Then go with the flow. That takes the pause. I mean, for me, the pause was in my sitting in my driveway, sobbing, going, and then, and then feeling like, okay, can I imagine giving up horses? No, that, that just brings up even more grief. So that can't be right, but something, there has to be something else. And, and then letting that
0: come. Wow. Um, I am. Thank you so much for sharing that. That, that was amazing. And so authentic and vulnerable. Thank you for sharing that. But, but it's so true. That is incredible advice. Like if things aren't working, I love that assess, like, what do I have to keep in my life? What do I want in my life? Where do I make shifts, pause and pay attention and kind of let the universe do a little bit of its magic. Yeah. So there's always something on the other side, we just have to slow down and see it. And horses does that actually help us do that? Right? So absolutely. Yeah. I, lo- I like this one, too, because I- I'm always looking for new reads or new watches or new anything. Have you uh, watched or read anything lately that has like just completely inspired you? I know you uh, mentioned uh, Elizabeth Gilbert's book, Big Magic, which is fantastic. Anything else kind of come to mind?
1: The, the book that has kind of rocked my world lately is this. Called Ooh. the Fall by Steve Taylor, and he is a psychologist. He's based in the UK, and he is a more than a student of um, Eckhart Tolle, mm. uh, who is a, a, a power, philosopher. Power of Now, right? That was yes, kind of exactly. Yep. And so, what Steve Taylor does is pinpoint a, in in terms of time and place when humans on a, on the level of consciousness made the shift toward a more egocentric way of being in the world that is essentially what got us into the predicament that we are in today. (laughs) <laughs> and it's this book. It, it it just there was a there was a question that that I had that 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 book answered that nothing none of my other explorations had had answered in a in a very sort of concrete time and place way that uh, appealed to my historian self. Mm-hmm. Yeah, if it, it, the the subtitle I don't know if you could read it when I held it up is the insanity of the ego in human history and the dawning of a new era. So, if you have any interest in in why why we are the way we are, West Western cultures in particular, in contrast to to more indigenous cultures, and that's what he's looking at. Like, what happened here that gave us a different sense of what our relationship is to nature and what our relationship is to each other and where did hierarchy come from and where did war come from and all these these ways of seeing the world that have landed us in the predicament that we're in today and of course it it has implications for for my my book because as it turns out um time and place (laughs) happen to be where my my book is is set Mm -hmm. Um, and the domestication of the horse actually played a, played, played a
0: role in, in how that mindset spread. Thank you for the recommendation. That sounds incredible. And then creativity, creativity is a big word. I think we can define it, you know, in a lot of different ways, but this is also a, a question I like to ask because everybody has kind of a different perspective. What does creativity mean to you or? Yeah. I'll just leave it there.
1: So, and and I haven't actually thought of an answer to this question. So, this is just what's coming to me in this moment. I think each of us comes into the world with a unique gift. And sometimes it takes a long time to discover what that is. And it may be in a form that we're not even prepared to sort of think about, oh, this is a gift. I think what creativity is um, is our our souls, our soul being an enab- enabled to express its gift mm. into the world, mm. and that may take the form of being an amazing chef. It may take the form of being an amazing parent. It may take the form of being, you know, a a passionate gardener. It may take the form of being a teacher being you know it, a million possibilities but it's it's what you came into the world to offer and when when you are truly fulfilling that purpose that's when creativity shows up
0: hmm that was Perfectly said. I love that answer. Thank you so much for sharing that with us. And right off the cuff, well done. (laughs) But it's true. Yeah, there's, there's real magic when you're just there with the thing that fulfills you and and makes you happy and and brings joy. That's so special. And, you know, I know that you talked about, you know, you're writing book ones here, it's going to be a series, a trilogy, What's next? What are you curious about? I mean, you, you're doing a lot of wonderful things. But what are you thinking?
1: When I finish this series, I, there's another book waiting Yay. to be written then came to me, I won't go into the details now that maybe for another podcast, but mm-hmm. came to me in an equally sort of serendipitous way. Oh. And it's um, the title is a, um, a true and perfect night. So it will be set in the 14th century, it will involve horses, um, it will involve fun research where I can actually go to France and Scotland and
0: Ooh. learn
1: all about the 14th century. So that's when I finish this series, that's what's next on the horizon.
0: Oh, that's so exciting. I, lo- I love hearing that, that, that you know, when it stacks up like that, that you've got somewhere to to go to. And yes, let's definitely keep in touch and bring you back for an update episode. But in the meantime, I have so enjoyed our conversation today, Sarah, thank you for coming on the show. Will you share with listeners, where they can find you and your books? Absolutely. So my my website
1: is um, Sarah V, is uh, in Virginia, Barnes. So Sarah V. dot com. And that has a couple of blog posts with a little more detail on some of these backstories having to do with the book and where to purchase the book. And, um, and then I'm also on Facebook. Uh, she Who Rides Horses. That's where you can find me.
0: Excellent. And I'll make sure to link to those places in the show notes and make sure you uh, come over and take a look at those because she shared some really great pictures. And Sarah, thank you for the gift of your time. I so appreciate you coming on the show and sharing all this wonderful wisdom with us. Really appreciate it. Well, it was my privilege. I'm so happy to have been here and I'll look forward to next time. Thanks for joining us this week on the Equestrian Author Spotlight Podcast. I hope you enjoy these Q&A sessions with wonderful equine authors who love all things horses and writing, just like me. Visit my website, carlycadecreative.com, where you can read the show notes, and make sure you never miss a show by clicking the subscribe button now. This podcast is made possible by listeners like you. Thank you so much for your support. Want a free guide to secrets of horse book authors? Gallop over to CarlyCadeCreative.com forward slash wisdom to have author advice delivered instantly to your inbox. If you are an author who writes about horses and would like to be spotlighted, please let me know. Visit my contact page at CarlyCadeCreative.com to fill out a request. I'd be happy to have you on the show too. Thank you for tuning in to the Equestrian Author Spotlight Podcast. See you next time. I'm your host, Carly Cade. Creative writing makes my spurs jingle.